What's so special about Hero Bread's soft, fluffy, and delicious breads, buns, and tortillas? These ultra-low net-carb baked goods contain zero sugar, fewer calories, and more protein than the leading brands and are high in fiber to support gut health. Shop now at Hero.co. Welcome, everyone, to another Baseball America podcast. Along with Aaron Fit. I'm John Manuel. The season's college baseball podcast is being sponsored by Project Lomo, an innovative program designed to encourage young baseball fans around the country to channel their passion for the sport into creating ways to improve their community. If so, if you know any young baseball fans who might be great social entrepreneurs, give them a heads up about Project Lomo. Details will be announced early in May. And we want to thank the people at Project Lomo, which, of course, is uh, short for Logan Morrison. So that's a little hint about the future of this, uh, about our podcast sponsor. Uh, so details coming in early May. And we want to, again, thank those guys for the sponsorship. And Aaron, uh, you're on the road, uh, so we're going to keep this one tight this week on the podcast. But you're on the road at uh, beautiful Fayetteville, Arkansas. Uh, your wife's from Fayetteville. I'm from Fayetteville. Of course, we're from Fayetteville, North Carolina. <laughs> so uh, Fayetteville, near and dear to both our hearts, but a little bit different atmosphere in Fayetteville, Arkansas. I don't think uh, I don't think Methodist University brings the Division Three atmosphere quite the same way that the uh, Arkansas Razorbacks do at Bomb Stadium. And it just sounds like you were on hand uh, for a heck of an SEC series with LSU in Arkansas. How about my, my mother-in-law's alma mater, Methodist, getting the shout-out on the Baseball American College podcast. That's Who Upset knew? City right there. Who knew? Um, yeah, it was it was awesome this weekend. I mean, it was really fantastic. You know, the, the atmosphere, um, especially Saturday and Sunday, was, was really good. Friday was a little quiet. I felt like the uh, the fans seemed a little anxious, you know, and, and, and LSU, you know, was was clearly the better team on Friday. Um and then, you know, I felt like Arkansas responded pretty well on Saturday and, and even Sunday. I and mean, that game went to extra innings. And uh, it, it was Sunday felt like a prize fight. You know, I mean, to have 9,200 fans in there for a Sunday game, um, you know, it was it was really a cool atmosphere, like I said. And, and you know, the two two good teams going back and forth. And, um, you know, it was funny. Dave Van Horn goes to the bullpen and, and what, the third or fourth inning uh, when Randall Fant wasn't doing too bad. I think it was a third inning. And, and I thought, well, it seems a little early, but you know they do have they are fresh in the bullpen, uh, and then they roll out arm after arm after arm after arm. I'm thinking, my God, you know, no wonder he went to the bullpen. I mean, it's it's crazy how deep Arkansas is on the mound. I mean, you got, um, you know, you got guys like Chris Oliver going out there, and he's a, he's a middle guy. He's a nice middle guy, but you know, he's 94 to 97 uh, with an 85, 86 slider, you know, and he's going to be a stud. <laughs> I mean, you, you like got, he already is a stud. He already is a stud. You got, you know, Brandon Moore, the sinker ball guy, eating up innings out there. You got Trent Daniel, firm, you know, lefty with a, with a good slider. You got Jalen Beeks, another firm lefty with a good slider. You got Suggs finally coming out there. Uh, he came in in the 10th after they were already down a run. And, and uh, um, you know, he actually gave up another run. Nate Bregman and, and Rise both squared him up pretty good on his fastball. But he was 92 to 98. Uh with with a flash and a plus slider, I mean, it, it was it was it was really impressive. But the thing that stood out to me was, and I'm going to write about this in three strikes a little bit. But LSU matched him. I mean, it wasn't the same kind of arm strength all the way through. But I mean, Nick Rumbelow was up to 94. Joey Bourgeois was was good, good up to 91. Uh, you know, Brett Bonvaline did a nice job, and then Chris Cotton was Chris Cotton, and just unbelievable. I mean, the guy has, has been untouchable this season, and you know, he's he's 84 to 88, and Got a good changeup and you know a little curveball he rolls in there and, and he just gobbles hitters up and you know he works two scoreless innings and that's that it's just lights out. 
Aaron, and the other point that you made on Friday's game, which I think is worth repeating, and you, of course you wrote about all this at BaseballAmerica.com, the newly redesigned BaseballAmerica.com, but uh, you wrote about just how good LSU's defense is. And, I mean, it feels like we usually are writing about defense, and, like, if a team is in that 975 range, they're a really good defensive team. And if they're around 980, then they're elite. And this team's fielding percentage is 984. Um, and it feels like it's not because they just make the plays in the routine balls. It feels like they make all the routine plays and some spectacular ones too. And that might be a, a difference maker for LSU uh, when you're comparing them to other elite teams, Vanderbilt, North Carolina, Oregon State, the other teams at the top of our rankings, Cal State, Florida. I mean, I think you've seen all those teams in person, if not all of them. Obviously, you've seen yeah. them on TV. You've, as Art, uh, who calls our office, would say, you've seen films. Right. Um is LSU the best defensive team in the country? I think they are. And, and uh, you know, and all, all those teams are pretty good defensively. Um, but, you know, as Palmineri said it, and if you look back at Friday's post, um, you know, he, he, he is not shy about it. He's not backing away. He says this is, the, this is the best defensive team he's ever seen in college baseball. Not that he's ever coached, but ever seen. And he says that they, you know, they have a standout defender at every single position. And he's right. I mean, between, you know, uh, the All-American guys, you know, Ty, uh, Ty Ross behind the plate and Jacoby Jones second base are standouts. Mason Katz is a really good first baseman. Christian Ibarra is a really good third baseman. They've got incredible speed in the outfield. I mean, the, you know, Andrew Stevenson's out there making great plays and, Mark Laird covers a ton of ground, and you know Rhymes has become a very good left fielder. Uh, and then, of course, the key to the whole deal is Alex Bregman at shortstop. Uh, I mean, my goodness, John, my goodness. It's, it's the same kind of, you know, I get the same impression from him that I got from Trey Turner as a freshman. It's just the wow factor. He's, he's unreal. I mean, he, he squared up, I think, just about every ball this week. Even his outs, uh, you know, he, he would go the other way hard, or he would line out. To, to left field hard, um, and then on Sunday, he, you know, he gets three hits. He rips a home run. Uh, I mean, just a laser <laughs> over the wall in left field. I mean, it was really out in a hurry. And then he, all weekend long, the guy played shortstop like a big leaguer, John, a big leaguer, and that's what he looked like. He's making plays in the run look easy. He's making bare hand scoops on funky spin and perfect accurate throws. And I mean, going in the hole, he's going up the middle. I mean, it was really impressive. They sound good. They look good on paper. They sound good, and it sounds like they were quite good in person. And uh, and all that, and they they, they they don't sweep the series. I think that says a lot about Arkansas and yeah. how good the Razorbacks are. I mean, LSU has more walks and strikeouts as a team this year. It's a really uh, a pretty impressive impressive ball club. And that said, the, the Tigers are third ranked. Uh, they're thirty four and three, and they're thirteen and twelve in the conference. They've kind of got a stranglehold on the West Division of the SEC. But Vanderbilt, 14-1 and over on the league. They've won 14 straight games. Uh, North Carolina's win streak right now is, what, nine? I think so. So, I mean, like, the, the, the teams ahead of LSU in the rankings. Uh, North Carolina's preseason one. Vanderbilt was preseason two. LSU was preseason number 10. So the Tigers have definitely, you know, they've moved up pretty far up to number three. Um, but the only time that we haven't had North Carolina or Vanderbilt one and two back-to-back the whole year was the one weekend where Vanderbilt had a little hiccup and went two and two. I uh, had lost a midweek, I believe, to Middle Tennessee. And then Oregon State was really hot. So Oregon State had been up the tube. Now Fullerton four, Oregon State five. I mean, you know, get used to it, guys. I mean, uh, the, these top three teams don't seem like they're falling back anytime soon. We'll see if North Carolina has any kind of hiccup with Sky Bolt. Their dynamic freshman right fielder uh, breaking a foot, fouled a ball off his uh, 
off his foot this weekend, so he's going to be out for a while. But, uh, you know, North, North Carolina, Vanderbilt, and LSU, Aaron, I mean, just none of those teams uh, has shown any weakness this, this year. And then L- I, I wouldn't say Fullerton and Oregon State has shown any weaknesses either. That's true. I, I feel like – I think we talked about it last week, um, either on air or off. But to me, the, those five teams – are, are the best teams in the country. And you can put Virginia in there. Um, you know, I, I think you and I both still have a little more reservation about Virginia than those other five teams. But, um, you know, yep. they're, they're obviously really good, and they've, they've had a great season. And, you know, this weekend they held their own down there at Georgia Tech. They lost two out of three, but, you know, the Sunday game was, was rain-shortened. And, um, you know, there, there's obviously no, nothing to worry about with Virginia. There's no shame in losing, a, losing that road series to a good Georgia Tech team. Um, that needed that series. Absolutely. Um, I, I, I do think, but it's, it's very odd, I guess, to see that the top of the SEC is such so, so stratified. Vanderbilt yeah. Vanderbilt with a six-game league in the SEC. Jeez. That's where I meant to go, and I, I went on the wrong tangent. But Vanderbilt with a six-game lead in the SEC East over South Carolina and Florida. LSU with a four-game lead over Arkansas in the SEC West. Let's hit on a couple other SEC things before we move on to talk some Big 12 and Big East. Um Vanderbilt with that six-game lead. How about Florida catching South Carolina for second place in that division? Not that that really matters, but sweeping South Carolina does matter. Uh, obviously, the <laughs> it's kind of almost like uh, with the Gators. Like you got to wonder if Nolan Fontana and Mike Zanino and these guys are looking back and going like, "Now, really? Now <laughs> you guys yeah. go and sweep South Carolina now?" But maybe it's Paco Rodriguez as the one talking with fellow big leaguer uh, Michael Roth. Maybe those guys are hanging out in the Southland. They're in Southern California uh, since they're both big leaguers now. Uh, Michael Roth called up by the Angels. Gets a win in his first major league uh, outing. Uh, Paco Rodriguez in the bullpen. There's your first two guys from the 2012 draft to reach the major leagues, Aaron. And Paco Rodriguez, that's no surprise. But uh, right. I'm sidetracking you here, obviously, a little bit with Michael Roth. But, I mean, I don't I don't associate any reporter uh, more with Michael Roth. I mean, you didn't cover as many games as some of the people down in Columbia did, but uh, we, you were there for all his heroics in Omaha for three years. You profiled him last year in our Roth Stars college preview issue feature. Uh, talk a little bit about Michael Roth getting to the big leagues, and uh, and then we'll segue into this series. But yeah. I, I just I think for college baseball fans, people who listen to this podcast, I think it's pretty cool that Michael Roth is already in the major leagues. It was fun to see the way Twitter was was a buzz Saturday night when he goes in there. Not only is he in the big leagues, you know, but he works two perfect innings and strikes out four guys in his debut, picks up the win. I mean, how cool is that? You know, this guy's got one start above rookie ball. Uh, that's it. He was a ninth round pick as a senior. Um, you know, everybody, no, nobody had huge expectations for this guy in pro ball. I mean, I thought, you know, and I think you agreed with me that, that he was going to be a big leaguer. Right. I mean, I, I just, I, no, nobody thought it would happen this quickly. Uh, but I mean, you know, I'm not surprised he's in the big leagues getting hitters out because that's what he does. He gets hitters out. I mean, you know, and, and these guys out there, you know, that, that want to bag on his stuff and say, he's just a little deception guy, whatever. Wear it, man. I mean, yeah, I know it's a small sample size, but he's in the big leagues, and I think he's going to stick around for a long time uh, because he's he's a winner. And and you know it, his pitch ability and is that little deception he's got. The deception is is a good thing to have, even in the big leagues. I mean, that's, that's exactly an asset. Right. That's exactly uh, right. And 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 just the the pitch ability, you know. He, I mean, it's 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 to me, it's it's Jamie Moyer pitch ability with more velocity. And you know, nobody. There's a million ways to get people out in the major leagues. There are a million ways. There are preferred ways. The preferred method is the Steven Strasburg method or the David Price method. 
But not everybody has those gifts, you know? And, and not everybody, when they're given those gifts, works as hard as David Price and Steven Strasburg do, or Justin, <clears throat> or Justin Verlander. So Michael Roth doesn't have those gifts, but he clearly works extremely hard on what he does have. He has pitchability. He has deception. He clearly has, uh, I think, knowledge. I think he reads swings. I mean, he does all the things that you need to do when you throw as hard as he does or not hard. And, uh, I mean, he varies his arm angles. Uh, he has all the intangibles. And the, when you say that, you sell the tangibles a little bit short because I just think that changeup is a plus-plus pitch. Yes. Yes. And uh, the varying of arm angles, I think, is an asset for him. So a guy just knows what he's doing. And, uh, you know, I, I don't think it's a surprise that it's polished cut left-handers who are the first two guys who – Zoom right. through the month from from the 2012 draft to the big leagues, but I think it's very cool. I think those two guys probably faced off in a lot of times in college over the last three years, and three years ago they were very similar roles. And I feel like if Paco Rodriguez had been given a starter's role at the University of Florida, he might have been pretty similar to Michael Roth. But instead, he was as good a relief pitcher as there was in college baseball for the last, especially the last two years. So, uh, right. kudos, kudos to both guys. Their alma maters face off this weekend, Aaron. Uh, what happened? What's going on with the Gamecocks? They did not score mm. a lot of runs this weekend. And it wasn't like Jonathan Crawford went out and shoved it because Jonathan Crawford's still kind of feeling around for his best stuff. But uh, they, uh, how many? How much of this is kudos to Kevin O'Sullivan for figuring out that young pitching staff down at uh, uh, down in Gainesville and really getting the most out of their ability? And how much of it is South Carolina's lineup just kind of struggling to find its way minus Christian Walker this year? It, I think it's certainly a combination of both of those things. I mean, you, you hit it pretty well. Um, you know, I think you you got you do have to give Florida some credit for the way they've they've battled here. I mean, this has been a grind for Florida. They finally got above 500 overall this weekend, but um, you know, Jonathan Crawford seems to be rounding into shape a little bit. Uh, this was his second win this weekend. Um, you know, second I think in the last two in the last three weeks rather. Uh, and then you know they they their bullpen kind of. Has has kind of you know carried them after that you know I mean uh, they moved, they started Danny Young in the second game of that series and and he got him into the fifth inning which is probably about what they they hoped he would do and then they turned over the bullpen and the, and the bullpen took it from there uh, and and you know then on Sunday it's it's uh, um, you know it's it's Schaefer and Gibson out of the bullpen and, you know, handhold and, um, you know, they started Carmichael and he didn't go very deep. That was probably one that didn't go according to plan. He only got right. into the second inning. Um, and, and they, you know, and, and the bullpen bailed him out. So and then, of course, the offense really bailed him out with that, that 10 run inning. And I, I kind of, I watched some of that game on TV right in time for that rally. And you could just start to see it spiral out of control for the Gamecocks. You know, it was, uh, you know, they had the bases loaded, nobody out, and one thing happens, nothing happens, and you, you just you had the feeling that it was going to go badly, which is the opposite of how we felt with North South Carolina over the last three years. It's like, oh, they're going to find a way to get out of this. You know, I mean, it's 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 kind of weird. They don't quite have that mojo right now. They don't, uh, and I think the thing is, you look at their lineup, and you'd come into this year, Aaron, and you would think, okay, the guys are going to really take over the ownership of this team and you had Dantzler in the middle and he's kind of been as advertised. I mean, yes, you know, but then you kind of thought those sophomores Griner, pancake and English would take that step forward. And Griner, I think has to an extent, um, but English and pancake are good players, but they're not college baseball stars yet. And that's what South Carolina seemed like it was developing. And that's what Christian Walker was. What Jackie Bradley was certainly what right. Michael Roth was certainly what Matt price was. They don't seem like they have that college star yet. I mean, do you, 
uh, you know, what, what do you attribute that to? Uh, or are we just holding these guys to an impossible standard? You know, I don't know. I, I think I think Pancake and Grinder in particular have the ability to be the, that kind of star caliber player. And Max Schrock as well. Yep. And, and yep. uh, let's not forget that, that Max Schrock was out this weekend with that concussion. Uh, he, did, he did Homer but, on Sunday, so he came back. And oh, Homer. okay. But, I mean, okay. but still, he, he, he has been battling that, no doubt. I mean, he's I, – I, I didn't want to put it on him because he's a freshman um, you know, to be in that – caliber that's why i singled out those sophomores but he he's had some injuries and he is a freshman so i don't, I don't quite hold him to that same standard as i hold the other guys yeah. and you know he actually played friday too in the middle game of that series so i i take it back he was not out this weekend just the first game but um and anyway i mean those three guys i think do have frontline star potential and and you're right it, it seems like griner has heated up after a slow start he's now he's above 300 and uh but but pancake and in english too i mean all these guys have impact tools and i do think pancake um you know he'll he's shown flashes of it john he's got yes. some home runs and he'll make some brilliant plays sometimes at shortstop but he still makes errors and uh it just hasn't all come together for him the way they really need it to they need him him and 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 Griner and, and English, that that core of of kind of high profile sophomores, those guys need to be the guys that carry this this offense. In my opinion, obviously Dantzler. I mean, Dantzler's your senior guy in the middle. He's going to be a run producer. But those other guys need to they need to they need to be better. That's it. I agree, and I, I think the other thing has been outside of Nolan Belcher, uh, the injury to Montgomery has kind of upset right. their weekend rotation. We've talked a little bit about that, but they haven't found a consistent other answer. And Colby Holmes, a senior, yeah. you know he. Colby Holmes right now, sir, you are no uh, Sam Dyson. You are no uh, – who was the guy in 2010? Who was well, he's no, he's, no, he's no Colby Holmes circa 2011 or 2012. I mean, there you he's go. Just, that's, that, that's, that's what they need him to be is just that solid, you know, back-end rotation kind of stock right-hander, uh, and, and he hasn't been. Throw strikes. That's, that's the it. Base, it's a Baseball America podcast with John and Aaron. A um, couple more SEC notes, Aaron, because we could go all day on the SEC, but uh, I just want to hit on we, – we really debated – at 16-17, Mississippi State versus Kentucky. I feel like we've been bulldog apologists all year. Mostly me, I, I think. Um, I think both of us have. I, I was, you know, I, I was a little defiant at one point about the you bulldogs. Were. Book still, it. They're going to Omaha. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I was trying to protect you there, but I, I appreciate you throwing yourself on the uh, mercy of the court. No, I'm not backing down from it. They're going to Omaha, Johnny. <laughs> but they, well, big sweep for the uh, the bulldogs. And we're just—I I guess the main thing is we're just happy to see John Cohen take our advice. Louis Pollo Reina goes in the weekend rotation, and they've been uh, a little bit more competitive since that happened. So, yeah. Coach Cohen, just call whenever you need a need more <laughs> advice, I guess, right? But uh, what what's changed? Uh, is it just the schedule for Arkansas for Mississippi State, or what's changed with their team? Uh, you know, ending that losing streak of series and winning the last two against the Gators, and then sweeping at A and M. I think you, you hit on the big thing is, is Poya Reina, but also now they got Lindgren back on Sunday. So it feels like finally there's some stability in this rotation with Poya Reina, Graveman, and Lindgren. And, you know, Louis, as much as I love Louis, I'd rather see him on Sunday than Friday, you know, in theory. I mean, you'd, right. you'd like to have a, more, a guy with, with more ability to dominate as your Friday starter. Um, you know, a guy like Lindgren or even, even Graveman. I mean, Graveman is throwing three straight complete games now and uh, he's pretty good. I mean, with that sinker and that changeup he's got, I mean, he's, he's a good pitcher. He is. Uh, you know, he's, he's not, you know, uh, that same level as, as like a Zomek or a Nola or a, 
you know, maybe he's not, he's not quite Barrett Aston either. I mean, he's, right. but, but, he, but he's, but he's, he's good. And, you know, he, I'd be comfortable with him as my Friday guy. Um, but right now the way they've got it structured is working. So I imagine they'll, they'll stick with it. But, um, you know, that, that was the big thing they needed to me was the stability in the rotation and, and they're, they're getting, getting it and you know it seems like Jonathan Holder has, has become Jonathan Holder again for a while there he was he was surprisingly mortal um but you know the, the guy was was so good all last year I and mean, what did he finish with a oh uh, 90 ERA or something like that I think it was even less than that but it was it was tiny uh and then you know he started off this year similarly and then had a little bit of a rocky patch but this weekend he was very good uh in two appearances and um you know that that's I think a key for them as well and of course all the guys in the middle I think they they can trust so, um, I don't know, and, and they're hitting, and, and I, I, I think they're, they got momentum right now, and that's why we moved them ahead of Kentucky. Even though Kentucky won the head-to-head series, two out of three, it was in Lexington. Uh, even though Kentucky's only lost two series, Mississippi State has lost four, um, suddenly you look up and, and the Bulldogs have the better SEC record by a game. Yep. Um, and, you know, and, and, and again, they just feel like they're playing better. So, uh, I, I, it probably does look a little weird to have, have – the, the Bulldogs ahead of the Wildcats, um, but that's there why. There you we... go. Aaron, uh, last question on the SEC. Who's your mid uh, – we're, we're a little bit past midseason, but now, but uh, who's your Southeastern Conference player of the year? Oh, I, I, I would I would uh, <laughs> throw out these nominees. Hunter Renfro yeah. with a 1359 OPS and 13 home runs, uh, 42 RBIs. Mason Katz. With his uh, 422, 500, 800 slash line, but still a lower OPS at 1,300 than Hunter mm. Renfro. 13 home runs like Hunter, but 60 RBI, so 18 more ribeyes mm. than uh, Hunter Renfro. Alex Bregman, yes, 432, 472, 652, um, and playing uh, you know tremendous defense at shortstop, or someone that I have not mentioned. Where where are you headed that way? I think you know where my vote is. <sighs> Yeah, you're going with Renfro, and Sent- that's fine. Sentiment, sentiment takes me to Hunter Renfro and the fact that he has, he doesn't have a Robin to his Batman uh, like Amazing Katz does. He, he's shouldering. I, I'm not taking anything away from Wes Ray or C.T. Bradford or Adam Frazier. Alex Detz, who's been pretty good as well. Alex Detz has been good, but the next high guy on in home runs on that team is three, and the next guy's two. Yeah. Um, he's out hitting Adam Frazier by a lot. Uh, Hunter Renfro is carrying the Mississippi State Bulldogs, and uh, I mean his his slugging percentage is higher than it's almost higher than his OPS this year is higher than his OPS from his first two years combined. This That's guy's amazing. having an unbelievable breakout season. It's unbelievable unless you've been listening to me the last couple. That's of right. It's true. So. It's true. But uh, uh, who, who you got there? What's your SEC Player of the Year? That's tough, and 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 I think Renfro's a fine choice. Um, you know, Katz, the, the way that he's gotten so many of these RBIs in clutch situations, all the big hits he's had, the big home runs. I mean, um, you know, there's nothing nothing uh, ticky-tack or inflated about his stats. You know, it's, it's – it's, boy, it's a tough one. And, and, and I still think, I mean, Alex Bregman has been that's, – that's the thing is you can't quite decide between those two guys for LSU's MVP. They're going to um, split the media vote, the large media vote in Louisiana and – yeah. Throw the election to Hunter Renfro. I think that could happen, and 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 I think you're probably right as well. That I maybe I lean toward Renfro for that reason. It feels like there's more of a supporting cast at LSU, and Rhymes in between those two guys in the lineup. You know, let's not forget about him. Let's not forget about the uh, guy who almost hit 500 last year. Right. Yeah. I mean, he's been uh, he's been quietly, you know, kind of doing his thing this 
year and, and everybody else in the lineup. I mean, it just there's they're, they've been a better offensive team overall. Um, so I guess you're right. I think Renfro has shouldered the, the load a little bit more. Um, I mean, he's just a loaded, he's an animal. It was a loaded question. I mean, let's face it. <laughs> so. Yeah, it's a loaded question. Fitzy, a couple other things, and we'll let you go. Uh, we're going to touch on the Big 12 and the Big East. So if you're not big, get out of the podcast. But, uh, Aaron, uh, the Big 12 touched on it a couple times how down this league is. But Hoochie Mama, Oklahoma takes a series loss this weekend. But I guess the news in the uh, you know in, in the Big 12 is Oklahoma still looks, looks like the best team. But here comes Baylor, who looked awful when you saw them early. And look yeah. out for the Sunflower State. Here comes Kansas and KU, both of which are just grinding their way through to possible regional bids. They are. And it's, Not bids, births. I should say regional births. I apologize. You know, I mean, this is, I don't know, this league's a mess. I, I still know what to make of this league. But you're right. I mean, Baylor is momentum right now, which is I didn't see coming. I th- you know I thought they were very mediocre. Uh, I saw you know I saw them multiple weekends, the first couple of weekends, and they just didn't do anything for me. But um, here they come. You know this was a big series winning against Oklahoma. I, the one guy that I that stood out to me in their lineup. Well, there are two guys that I liked in their lineup when I saw them in person. Orf. One was Nathan Orf, and the other was Cal Tui, who I just felt like you know he's the the one kind of real physical guy that they have in the middle that, that scares you. And Tui was the hero this weekend. He had the walk-off hit on Friday. He had a, the big game-winning grand slam on Sunday. Um, you know, that that's that was that was a neat show, a neat display there. But they, you know, they do have some some kind of college arms that are pretty solid that can keep them in games and um, you know, they they still have a lot of work to do I think to be in a, in a regional. I mean, they're 19 and 17 overall. They're outside the top what, 60 in the RPI. Um, the Kansas teams are both in the fifties, so they're, you know, they're moving on up a little bit here. I mean, uh, Kansas to me has the more impressive resume, even though Kansas right. state has, has the better record. I'm with you. Um, you know, the fact that Kansas is now taking back-to-back series against Texas and Oklahoma state, uh, neither of those teams are great, but you know, they're, they're not, they're, those are quality series wins. I mean, we, you know, we about both those teams a weekend preview a couple weeks ago and, um, you know, they, they had been doing some things well at various points this season. Texas, not so much lately. but uh, And they also have a, a series win at TCU, Kansas does. So those are, those are three series wins against teams that we thought would be factors here in this league. Um, and, and all three of those teams now are, are find themselves kind of behind the eight ball. But TCU even, now I'm not going to, you know, don't get carried away here because they probably need to win the league to get in with it. With an RPI in the hundreds, um, but but TCU did win a series this weekend you know, quietly <laughs> uh, against Oklahoma State. You know how quietly, um, Aaron. You know how quietly they won that series. They scored six <laughs> runs. That's how quietly. That's how they. That's how they do things. That's how they do things at Fort Worth. Unbelievable. That's how they roll. I hope the games uh, are at least quick and painless. Right. Yeah. Seriously. But uh, I don't know. I mean, I, I, at this point, uh, boy, I don't know. Am I, am, I supposed, am I supposed to do a stock report tomorrow? I don't even know. But I, I don't think know what you the are. heck. I think stock reports, yeah. stock reports coming. But, the, I mean, the Big 12, I do think it's going to be a three or four bid league. Is, mm. it, is there any way it's more than four? I mean, the RPI for these teams is all in the 50s and north. Outside of Oklahoma, I mean, I guess Texas is at 46, but, I mean, you got to win some games to maintain an RPI there, and the Longhorns are not winning games, and they score almost at a TCU-like level. Yeah, it's a uh, it's a concern. They just have not gotten it going, and um, you know, one thing to consider here is we still have these these 
tolls in the schedule. Now, Oklahoma, for instance, this weekend coming up, uh, is it this weekend they're playing uh, some bad RPI team? Out of, out of New Orleans. John, New Orleans. Dun, 263. Dun, 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 dun. 263 in the RPI. Oh. Uh, that's not going to help your national seed ambitions, certainly, or, or even your hosting ambitions. Um, you know, they'd probably be better off that series just got rained out. Uh, <laughs> yeah. You're right. But, but uh, you know, I mean, th- so that that's that's a factor here is is that 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 Big Twelve schedule thing that kind of drags down the league. RPI killed them, I think, it was last year uh, when a lot of it. And you know, here here's Kansas State, the top eight national seed, basically, right? Yeah, and and here's Kansas State with Niagara. Um, you know, natural rivals there. I think. I'm sorry, they played Niagara earlier this season, but I mean, you know, that that's a team around around 200 in the RPI, and Eastern Michigan's around 200 in the RPI. I mean. That that's that's gonna probably drag them down a little bit, you know. I mean, it's yeah, it's Kansas, uh, Kansas has a lot of uh, non-division one games on its schedule. I mean, I, I know that you get a few of those in your schedule for the RPI, but they've played Missouri Valley, Ottawa of Kansas, Baker, and they finished the season at Utah. I mean, you know, I don't know where Utah is in the RPI, and then I know they're in the Pac-12, but it's not gonna be great for their RPI. So, I mean, if if you're Nessie, if you're a Big Twelve team and you put yourself on the bubble. And you know, if you're on the bubble, uh, these scheduling things come back to haunt you. Come uh, whether it's whether you're going to host a regional or not, or be a top eight national seed, or just get into the tournament. I, I also feel like the next two weeks, Aaron, will really tell us a lot because you got Baylor um, playing, I guess, against Texas uh, and TCU the next two weeks. So we'll yes. really find out a little bit more about Baylor. They're at tech, TCU and then home against Texas. If they win both those series, and they still are at Kansas and then at Texas Tech. You know, that's basically TCU, Texas, and Texas Tech. Those are the bottom three teams in the league as of right now. If Baylor wins those three series um, and can hold serve at Kansas, feels like Baylor should be able to you know make its way into a, a regional bid. And they're going to have to uh, – the other thing I will say for Baylor is a lot of their re- remaining schedules on the road. Their, yeah. their remaining midweek games, three of the four are on the road. Um, I'm not sure I'd do this, but I should do this more often. A little hat tip to the folks over at D1Baseball.com for all the – I mean, we use their schedules a lot, on the podcast especially. Um, so a hat tip to those guys. I make this a little bit easier. Um, but they're, they're at Texas State, at Dallas Baptist, at Arlington. Those are winnable games, but you're going to have to win on the road if you're Baylor to uh, make this late-season run. So they've got that momentum. They're at 62 in the BoydsWorld.com RPI. Let's see if they can finish this off. I kind of like their chances. I like teams that improve. As the year goes on, Aaron, I think that's the biggest thing that stands out to me about Baylor, that and the fact that you, know, you called it earlier in the year on Nathan Orff. I think I like to make some, make fun of his name because his name is Nathan Orff, and it's a fun name. Um, but he, that guy can hit, and he's been hitting all year. He's hitting 421 right now, and he's really seems like he's been a catalyst for them pretty consistently this year. Yeah, that's true. Um, I'm not sure if I'm with you on them, on them making this thing happen. I mean, okay. uh, we'll see. You know, I just think that, like you said, three of those series are on the road, and then Texas uh, – I don't know. We'll, talent we'll see. Wise, talent wise, they certainly don't overwhelm any of those teams. Even if they're seven and four in the league, and say Texas Tech is four and eight, I mean they have a little bit more talent than maybe than Texas Tech does. But it's not like a, it's not like it's a, uh, where you st- you say you look at Oklahoma on the field with those teams and say okay, Oklahoma is the better team, right? Right. Exactly. Aaron, let's uh, wrap up with the Big East, and we have a mess in the Big East Conference because uh, Notre Dame, um, which got off to a great start against a difficult schedule has all of a sudden uh, turned back into a pumpkin. Uh, five yeah. five straight losses, 
lost the last game of the Villanova <laughs> series, lost midweek to Michigan, which, side note, uh, for Jeff Singer and the other Michigan fans out there, Michigan is rolling. I think the Wolverines have won yeah. nine straight games. Yeah, we got them. Uh, got a note on them coming up for uh, three strikes today. Outstanding. So uh, Eric Backage and uh, getting it done. Hey, they swept mighty Michigan State uh, last weekend. That's right. Which of course swept uh, your beloved Hoosiers this year. That's or, right. Or Hoosers, uh, however you want to. Hoosers. So John Manuel Spelling <laughs> Academy. Um, but Notre Dame gets swept at Pittsburgh, and you wrote about Pitt earlier this year. I know they like to be called Pittsburgh, but I'm calling them Pitt. But you wrote about the Panthers earlier in the year when they went to Wichita State, swept them to start the year. So we know Pittsburgh's pretty good, but this is a disturbing series sweep because now they've been swept twice in the conference. So at four and eight, um, and then talk about not having a lot of wiggle room RPI wise. Here comes Quinnipiac, and unfortunately for Notre Dame, that's not a hockey series. Quinnipiac was just runner up in the hockey uh, Frozen Four to Yale, uh, all about the nutmeg state this week in the Frozen Four. But yeah. they still got UConn and South Florida at home. Then at St. John's and at Cincinnati. Uh, Notre Dame, uh, the Fighting Irish are in trouble here, aren't they, Aaron? Here's the good thing: is is they're still 26 in the RPI according to, to Warren Nolan. Yeah, it's um, world as well. So I mean, that's you know that gives them some breathing room if they can if they can get back to a respectable spot in conference. One thing that we learned last year uh, from Michigan State getting an at-large bid is that you don't have to finish near the top top of your conference, even in a mid-major, to get a bid if you have a good RPI. And, you know, I mean, um, you know, they, they they need to, you know, they need to be better than four and eight. <laughs> this, is, this is not where you want to be in the conference at this point in the season. But I, I, I feel like, you know, with those home series against UConn and, and South Florida, they should win those series. Um, and, and, you know, St. John's has not been great this year. They're, they're obviously down from last year. Uh, it's a winnable road series. And certainly Cincinnati's a winnable series. So, um, you know, they can certainly, in my opinion, win all the remaining series and still get into regionals or even win three out of these four conference series and, and be all right. Um, but that said, I don't feel great about them right now. I mean, they're they're pitching to me, um, you know, with, with I don't know, it, their pitching feels less certain than it did earlier this season. And, and you know, it's nice that they've gotten Pat Connaughton back from basketball, um, but uh, he hasn't really, you know, he hasn't really blossomed yet. He's still... Kind of going for you know into the fifth inning maybe, but not really. Right. Uh, it, it, he's not quite what you want yet from your Friday guy, uh, which is which is how they're using him. And um, you know, I just I don't know. The bats have gone quiet. Um, you know, we like this team's offense quite a bit earlier this season, and they're not scoring runs right now uh, at all. Um, so you know, maybe it's just one of those funks the teams go through. I mean, we we saw other teams go through funks this year. Florida, uh, um, you know, to lesser degree Mississippi State um, you know and, and those teams have, have recovered so uh, Notre Dame I still think is good enough to recover uh, but I'm a little less certain right now than I than I had been about them I'm with you and it really didn't feel like the, the difference maker for them was that uh, physical middle of the lineup in Jigailo and Mancini was kind of a separator for them and uh, you know they, they, they scored five runs all weekend you know Jigailo uh, you know had a two-run homer in one of the games and um and otherwise, it just really didn't do a whole lot offensively. So yeah. the rest of that team kind of needs to, um, you know, help out those uh, those guys in the middle. Um, is, is that a two bid league, a three bid league? How do you see that that Big East shaping up there? I mean, South Florida uh, probably didn't help its RPI a whole lot this weekend by sweeping Alcorn State. Yeah. Um, you know, Pitts, they're they're a one thirty six. <laughs> Pittsburgh just got swept last week. 
by South Florida. So we've got some issues there. All the Pittsburgh's in the top 60 in the RPI. Two-bid league, three-bid league. What, what, what are you feeling right now for the Big East? How about Seton Hall sneaking up a little bit here? They're 36 in the RPI. I remember they started. Uh, They've played oh, a really good schedule. They did, and they started O and. O and a lot. A lot, yeah. I think I wanna, it was 0 and I 9. Say, I want to say 0 and 9, and that's right. But you know, but they those, swept Pepperdine. They were 0 and 9, right. and they went and swept Pepperdine. And and you know, they had played North Carolina early in the season, of course. Uh, and, and and John Prasinski, who pitches well every week of his career. Yeah. Um, you know, he only lost one nothing in that opener. Uh, and, and, you know, you're right. They swept Pepperdine. Got a big uh, RPI um, boost by sweeping, uh, by winning a series against Rutgers. <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't supposed to be so funny, but it was. Well, <laughs> they're number 52 you know, in the RPI. I know. They're still hanging on. They're, they're a 500 team, and they're number 51 in the RPI. But, um, you know, Seton Hall's 36, and they're only three games above 500. But the fact is, they played a really good schedule. They went to Pepperdine, like you said. And swept them, and Pepperdine's been playing well lately. Uh, Pepperdine, I think, is in first place in the West Coast Conference. I think so. Um, you know, now they go to Houston. Seton Hall does this weekend and win two out of three against a team that had been, you know, a top twenty-five team. I mean, I don't know that they either of us really bought into them as a true top twenty-five team, but they had earned their way in. Um, you know, at this point in the season, because we had a, a dearth of, of other worthy teams. Um, so, you know, that's a quality series win. They have, they have a nice series win against UConn, which has been a solid club this year. So I don't know, keep your eye on Seton Hall. I mean, I, I kind of like their team. I don't, I don't love them, but they're, they're intriguing and they got a chance. So you, you got some teams here that are on the, in, in the picture. I mean, from an RPI standpoint, you know, Louisville, um, and Notre Dame are in very good shape from the RPI right. standpoint, purely, um, you know, Seton Hall, if, 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 if you're only looking at the RPI, they're in really good shape right now. Uh, and then you've got, you know, uh, Rutgers and, and Pitt also in that in that top 60. So those are all teams within striking range from an RPI standpoint of, of, of regional bids. And, and that's usually the 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 uh, fly in the ointment when it comes <laughs> to getting bids for the Big East is the RPI. Um, so right now, you know, they're they're. They got some teams in the mix here. I, I still feel like it's going to be a multi-bid league, uh, and and I think it could be three. Uh, but I still feel pretty good about at least two. I think I'm with you, Aaron. I think I'm with you that uh, Seton Hall is looking pretty interesting. Uh, they've got, they got a home series against Georgetown coming up. Georgetown's RPI is in the 200s, uh, which is not good. But Georgetown has uh, 120 games this year, albeit again against a not not great schedule. Um, but they have, by Georgetown standards, has been a little bit better Georgetown team. They did win a series two weeks ago against South Florida, so uh, this is going to be interesting. I, I'm 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 fascinated by this Seton Hall team. Now you've brought them to my attention, and I want to say uh, if we we don't do cheers and jeers, but jeers to a guy I respect a lot, uh, Todd Whitting, but uh, Austin Pruitt in the one game Houston wins this weekend, 142 pitches Ooh. in a complete game shutout. I mean, nine innings, six hits, no walks, 12 strikeouts. That sounds pretty efficient, but 142 pitches. Um, you know, not hard. Uh, well, he gets a week off, but not not easy to to defend. 142 pitches. So college baseball coaches help us out. So, um, Aaron, three strikes today sounds like Michigan. Sounds like a lot of more thoughts from the bomb. And uh, on uh, today's Google Plus Hangout, I want to talk to you about your favorite college baseball stadiums and oh, why. Man, that's, that's tough. So take a Let's little time, do it. Take a little time to hone that for today's Google Plus Hangout. We hang out to chat college baseball face-to-face, screen-to-screen every Monday at 1230 here on the Baseball America, uh, on the family of networks, really, on BaseballAmerica.com, the podcast, the Google Plus Hangout, 
and uh, of course uh, on the website and, and in print. So Aaron, uh, great stuff on this week's podcast. For Aaron Fit, I'm John Manuel. We want to remind you that this season's college baseball podcast is being sponsored by Project Lomo, an innovative program designed to encourage young baseball fans around the country to channel their passion for the sport into creating ways to improve their community. So if you know any young baseball fans who might be great social entrepreneurs, give them a heads up about Project Lomo. Details will be coming in early May. For Aaron, I'm John. We'll see you on the next Baseball America podcast. So long, everybody.